Good morning again. On the pages of the Bible, we meet the real Jesus. And He is everything that we need. Would you turn in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of John's Gospel? John chapter 8. We look down to the 12th verse, and if you're able, would you stand as we read from God's Word? Beginning at John chapter 8, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Father, may your son, the son of man, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us this morning. Lord, we cannot see. We refuse to believe or we struggle to believe. And so I'm asking, Lord, that your Son would shine on me, that he would shine on us. May the light of the world shine on every person in this room, on the preacher and on the congregation. And I ask this all in the very name of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. John's Gospel presents Jesus Christ as God's Word, literally becoming a human being. So John's presentation of Jesus centers mainly on Jesus speaking. We see more of Jesus' actual words in the Gospel of John, I think, than any of the other Gospels. It's filled with discourses and sermons from Jesus, His teachings, His conversations, and the confrontations that he had with his enemies. And just who were the enemies of Jesus? Because that's crucial to the text this morning. What killed Jesus Christ? The well-scrubbed hands of deeply religious people. I'd like to take the long way into our text in John 8 this morning to try to set up Jesus' argument here so Bear with me, please, for the sake of a little context. You don't have to turn to these verses unless you want to, but in John chapter 1, verse 4, the opening of this gospel, it said about Jesus that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the very life, the person of Jesus, is the light of all humanity. It's a person. Our light, the means by which we see 
anything is the life of Jesus Christ. One of the things to notice in John is how stark and clearly drawn all the lines are. If, if Jesus is the light of the world, if in His life is the light of men, nothing else is light for the world. Nothing. So beloved, there's no argument for creation. There's no formula for cultural morality. There's no argument for the existence of God. There is no kind of government or list of laws that are the light of the world, which means none of those things can give life. Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and therefore only Jesus Christ can give life. Only Jesus shines effectively into our darkness. So John not only tells us this right out of the gate, but then he tells us just a few verses down in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, that Jesus, the light, came into the world, but even his own people did not know him. Even his own people, Israel, did not receive him. They did not believe on him. So John starts out this gospel with the proclamation that Jesus is the light. So that's foundational to the whole thing, the whole gospel, and then reveals that people don't believe in the light. And as that begins to play out on the pages of John, in chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gets right to the heart of why, on our end, for our part, we don't believe in Him, or people don't believe in Him. After saying <clears throat> that the one who believes will not be condemned, but the one who rejects Him, who doesn't believe, stands under condemnation already, Jesus gives God's verdict on that, God's assessment of Unbelief, And he says that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So in John's gospel, he not only reveals what is obvious in all the gospels that people don't believe on Jesus. John gets to the heart of why people don't believe on Jesus, and he does so from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Unbelief in the Bible is not described as a problem that stems from the lack of enough evidence, but as the result of the fact that human beings hate light. That's what's going on as we watch Jesus being rejected. That's why people don't believe. It's not because there isn't enough evidence to do so. It's because they hate the light. They hate the truth. Jesus is the light of the world and people hate light because they love darkness. That brings us to a very powerful and important verse just before our text this morning in John 7.24 where Jesus tells a crowd basically ready to kill him because he had healed someone on the Sabbath. He tells them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus establishes categories for judging. There are two kinds. One kind of judgment is right and one kind of judgment is wrong. What is the wrong kind of judgment for us to be making? Judgment that is based on appearances. Now in light of everything we've seen in John thus far, that's very interesting to say. Do not judge based on what we see with our eyes, is what he's saying. Why not judge based on what you see with your eyes? If you saw it, why can't you judge based on appearances? 
Because by nature, what do we know by now? Humans are willfully blind. You cannot trust the eyes of people that hate light and love darkness to judge correctly by what they can see. We are spiritually blind to the truth. We're born that way. We live in utter darkness. We cannot see, and more importantly, we have no true interest in seeing what is actually there. It's in John's Gospel that we read so often that Jesus knew what was in man, which is why He spoke the way that He spoke. We're not just in the dark then. It's not just an identity problem we have. It's a spiritual problem we have. We love the dark. We hate the light. You see what Jesus does. He puts the world in two categories. Only two. So by the time we get to John 8, 12, we have to understand that his I am statement here is spoken when John has been very careful to establish a few specific things. Number one, that Jesus is the light of the world. That the world hates light because the world loves darkness. And that is the reason why Jesus is rejected. That's the reason why people don't believe Him. So that brings us to verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is picking His teaching back up from chapter 7, where He revealed that we are unable to judge by appearances. And we find that's related to unbelief. It's Jesus continuing to explain why we won't believe in Him, why we refuse to come to Him. Jesus is not going to be recognized or accepted by our natural abilities. It's impossible. Our sight, our comprehension, our reasoning, etc. are so damaged and destroyed by the fall that we don't know the light when we see it, and if we do, we hate it when we see it. It's why we read in John 6.63, right before this, it is the Spirit who gives life because the flesh is of no help at all. That's a quote from the Bible. The Spirit has to give life because the flesh is no help at all. So when I'm appealing to you to believe, I'm not appealing thinking that I can convince you with reason and arguments. The Spirit has to give life. The flesh can't help you find life. That's the Bible talking. Humanity is spiritually blind. We cannot recognize ultimate truth. And it's into that malady, this disease that we have that's killed us, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So those who follow Jesus Christ will have a lit path rather than a dark one because Jesus is the light of life. Jesus is the word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus creates categories again in the text, doesn't he? And this time the categories are the light and the darkness. He puts the world into two categories. Light, which is where he is believed upon, and darkness, where he is not. Those are the two places to be in the world. Those are our options. The world is extremely cut and dry to Jesus. And we should stick with his categories. 
Because it can be very dark where there's a ton of religion and morality. As there most certainly was in the audience to which Jesus said these things and made these categories. You and I paint light and darkness almost exclusively in terms of behavior, don't we? The the dark is where those things happen. No, the dark is wherever Jesus is rejected as the light. To the degree that anything or anyone else is being relied upon to give salvation, to explain truth, to grant illumination, to reveal reality, there is only darkness. Whether it's religious darkness or moral darkness. Wherever anything but Jesus Christ is being relied upon to give light to people, there is only darkness. Notice what the Pharisees do with Jesus' statement. Do they take it at face value and evaluate the truth of it? Or to them the lack thereof in that statement? No. Look at verse 13. Look at what they say. And the Pharisee, or so the Pharisees said to him, because he had just said that, you are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. These men call his claim to be the light of the world false because he's the only one saying it. Now, again, that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not it's true. They call it false because he's the only one saying it. Anybody can say they're the light of the world. If there aren't witnesses that can verify or prove that claim, it's a bogus claim. You can't just say it about yourself. Now, you might think Jesus would, and he could have very easily appealed to his works here. Works like, you know, when he took five barley loaves and two fish and fed a crowd of well over 5,000 people. In fact, he will appeal to his works later on in John 10. Believe on account of the works you see me doing. They speak for themselves, but not here. Here what Jesus is getting at is not a lack of evidence. That's not the problem. The problem here is a rejection of the light that is already shining. So Jesus doesn't give them evidence, not on their terms. In other words, he doesn't say, you know what, you're right. Anybody can make this claim. Let me produce a couple witnesses here that can prove this. Proof did not matter. It never does. This is Jesus as light. Remember, And light is not rejected because there's a lack of evidence. Light is rejected because it reveals what is in the dark. Light is light. right? Light is there or it isn't. Light doesn't need proven. right? Light doesn't need proven. If it's there, it's there. You know it. If it isn't, it isn't. They are rejecting Him as Savior. So Jesus' response to their accusation that He's lying about being the light precisely because He's the only one saying He is the light, His response to that is verses 14 and following. Let me read those again to you quickly. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about Myself, My testimony is true. Why? For I know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. There it is. That's an amazing statement. Jesus said that. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, see, Jesus distances himself from the law. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. That's one witness. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. That's two witnesses. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. So he could have been standing there too. 
If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus gives them no quarter, nor does Jesus give an answer that would help you in an apologetic debate. Do you notice that? This wouldn't help you debating an atheist, say, at Harvard, really, because Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm the light. Why? Because I said so. Right? That's the argument. Tell me why I should believe in Jesus. Because he said you should. I mean, that's that's basically the argument. But Jesus says, I know Deuteronomy 17 in your law says that once something has two witnesses, it can be verified as true. So you want, here's your two witnesses. I'm one, the one who just said it, that I'm the light. I'm one witness to the fact that I'm the light. That'd be like somebody in court saying, uh, believe it because I said it. Right? And the other witness is God the Father. And of course that's what Jesus says. You see, he's not playing games. Of course that's what Jesus says. The existence of the light is proof that there is light. Duh, right? I mean, there's no clever argument here by worldly standards for the veracity of Jesus' claims about himself. You see that. Jesus doesn't even touch that kind of thing. And beloved, God isn't trying to prove to the world that he exists. Jesus is not trying to prove to the world that he exists. The world does not disbelieve in Jesus as Savior because there isn't enough proof. The world disbelieves in Jesus as Savior precisely because Jesus is the light of the world. They don't believe He's the Savior because He's the Savior. Because He will not only expose our sinfulness and our wickedness, but in so doing... He will expose the fact that we are utterly helpless to save ourselves. The light will show the truth. And the truth is we are more wicked than we will admit, and we are more weak than we are comfortable with. That's the truth that the light will reveal. That's why Jesus is rejected, because we love what we do, because we won't believe. In a world that judges everything by appearances, no one wants to look bad and no one wants to look weak. Jesus' testimony about himself is true because he's God. That's a circular argument. Yeah, the circle is perfect. Right? I mean, it's just... But don't let's not pretend that's why we reject Jesus as our Savior and won't believe on Him because it's a circular argument. That is not why we won't believe on Him. We won't embrace Him because we love the darkness in which we presently walk. That's why. Already, Jesus is offending. He's light. He's shining. You don't want to walk into that. None of us do. See, God isn't over, God isn't over there jumping up and down, you know, peeking out behind the clouds, saying, hey, believe in me, I'm actually here. I'm actually here. Woo, woo, over here. I'm real. Have you ever watched a, a little kid close their eyes or cover their eyes and say, you can't see me, right? I'm invisible. And then what do we do? Where'd you go? We just we, we play with their little games. There's no God. I can't see him. He can't see me. I'm invisible. Right? That's, 
That's precisely what the world does. Christians, we we spend a ton of money and time and effort to try to prove things that no one cares whether they're proven or not. Right? Like 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 the war that the battle is this fight between who has the best argument and who has the best evidence. Here's the bummer about a clever argument. All it, if you believe something because of a clever argument, all it will take to undo your belief is a cleverer argument. Right? That's not how Jesus is appealing to the world. Look at my evidence. No, no, no. I'm the light. What are you doing? Right? Look at me is what Jesus is saying. Just look. These Pharisees didn't care what they saw or heard. They never did. Right? If, if the presence of witnesses, which again is just somebody saying they saw something, was all they really needed to believe, then you would think the fact that God was one of the witnesses would have worked, but it didn't. We see, we see this all the time in our culture. What do you do when the evidence is presented, but it will prove the opposite of what you wanted? You reject the evidence. You say, no, that's a lie, that's a conspiracy, that's a front, that's, a, that's tainted. That, Yeah, you know, you, you, nobody cares what the truth is. We care about what we want the truth to be. We, we do everything like that. You know, there are too many things that influence our ability to be objective. We're human beings. Right? This, I mean, this isn't every... We, like, you see that in the media. You see it in reporting. You see it as, as parents. When you, when you hear, hey, your kid did this to my kid, is your first response, oh, my deepest apologies for the actions of my wayward child. No, your response is, you know what, your nasty, ugly kid probably did this, not my kid. And I mean, it's just, it's, we are not God. Only God is the light. Right? Only God, God is the only one that sees everything perfectly. Right? The only one. The, the, you, when you don't want what the evidence proves, you just cast doubt on the evidence. That's all you do. That's where these Pharisees are. Like, this isn't the first run-in they've had with Jesus. Right? There's a reason they're following Him around. Jesus was a major threat to them and to the system they had created. When Jesus came into the world, he came into a place and time where just how blind humanity really is to its need for the gospel would be the most apparent. That he would come to his own tribe, his own people, at this time in history, and they would reject him. They would not receive him. The rejection of Jesus by the Israelites in first century Palestine is one of the most eye-opening tools we have in understanding the gospel and the world. How is it that the most educated, the most biblically informed, the most concerned with behavior and following the law and honoring God how in the world did they miss 
God in the flesh by so far to the point that they murdered him. That's a commentary on humanity. Jesus is not only a threat to the idea that God will accept us based on our behavior, Jesus is also a threat to those that take advantage of the fear that belief can create in order to control others and make themselves look good in the process, like the Pharisees. Jesus exposed blindness where it was most assumed they had sight. The light is a threat to every hidden desire, the ones for evil and the ones for looking good and strong. Jesus as light is still rejected because we love darkness. Which means that anything where Jesus isn't saving and doing all the work is darkness. Jesus Christ came revealing very deliberately that you can miss him with your Bible wide open. Just like these men. These men didn't even need to carry around scrolls. They had it memorized so perfectly. Our darkness is darker than we think. And what the text is showing us is that darkness can be, yes, it can be. It's also darkness where there is wretched wickedness and immorality and perversion or greed or whatever. Or it can be the darkness of self-righteousness and pride that finds it unforgivably offensive that God would even hint that all our righteousness is as filthy rags to Him and that we're actually too sinful to even realize that's what we are. That's the issue here. right? It, it seems like throughout the Gospels, the people that were the most sinful by the world's standards had the least problems with Jesus. They invited Him to their parties. <clears throat> he went to them. Let me ask a, a, a hard question of us. Do we take pride in the fact, if, if, if it's true, that no worldly unbeliever would ever dream about having us over for dinner? We take pride in that. We take pride in not knowing like any non-Christians are being friends with any of them. Do we take pride in that? That's a, that's a mark of just how righteous we really, we, we really are. Well, maybe... Your moral high ground, you're very high, but you're nothing like Jesus. So let's quit. Does it make you Christ-like? In this context here, as light, as light, Jesus doesn't even judge in verse 15. What does that mean? It means light doesn't make judgments. Light shines on the truth. The light isn't doing the judging. The light is doing the exposing. Jesus is saying, I don't have to have witnesses to make the right call about you. I'm the light. You're so utterly empty of the ability to know truth like I do, automatically, that you need witnesses to do it. I am the light. I know everything. And I know it now. And I know it exhaustively. 
So Jesus doesn't have to condemn the world. He can just be about the business of saving it. John 3.17. And what, I mean, their response is just, oh really? Where is your dad? That's what, that's what they say. Where is your father then? And Jesus calls their bluff again. Saying in essence, it, it wouldn't matter if, if he was here. You don't know him either. Right? You, you, you think you'll know him on sight. You don't. You're looking right at him and you're clueless. Deliberately. You don't know me because you don't know him. Their problem was their darkness. Not whether or not the light was visible. God is close to, or God is not close to, and God is not known by the proud and haughty. God is close to the humble and the brokenhearted. God is close to women caught in adultery about to be stoned right before this conversation. God is close to desperate Syrophoenician women who call out for mercy before their time. God is close to dead sons of widowed mothers and tax collectors who can't even look up but instead beat their chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that's the only cry a blind person should be making. Jesus is trying to tell us here that we're blind. Therefore, among other things, we are not in any position to be making demands. And that's rough and we don't like it, but that's the way it is this morning. Here's the deal, everyone. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And He is shining this morning. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is the Savior of the world. And in His merciful patience, even though deep down He knows that we know He exists, and even though He knows the games that we play, He still came and provided enough evidence for you and I to say, that's really Him. Just like we believe almost without question any other book we read with history in it. We don't question the claims about Julius Caesar or Oliver Cromwell or because they make no claim that we are blind and desperate sinners in need of a Savior. The jig is up. We don't care whether or not Julius Caesar is true. The jig is up. God knows us. He knows every single one of us. Nobody is hiding this morning. You you can hide from me and you don't need to reveal yourself to me. That's not my point at all. I'm... Nothing. Like, you don't owe me anything. I'm telling you, the light is shining, and Jesus knows everything about you. He always has. Here's what's amazing. The true light is shining. Always has been. He sees you. He sees me. He sees it all. All the wickedness we do in the dark, all the righteousness we parade by pretense in the light, sees all of it, always has. And do you know what he does upon seeing it? Loves us. 
and looks on us with grace. Not as his enemy today, but as a sheep without a shepherd. Let Jesus call your bluff. Talking to the believers and the unbelievers, let Jesus Christ call your bluff. He's the only one that can heal you. And unless you believe that Jesus is your only Savior, you will die in your sins. You will die in your blindness. But why die? Live. Live. The light of the world is not shining today to humiliate us. He is shining to lead us home that we may have eternal life. That's, that's what, that, that's why he's here. He can rain down fire and brimstone whenever he wanted. Like he, he doesn't have to do this. Right? He, he didn't come into the world to do condemning. The world is already condemned. Right? That was already settled. That was settled a long time ago. He's here to do a saving work. For you, not for me. For you. For you. Everybody that can hear my voice, for you. Come to Him. Why would you die? Why would you die? Why would you remain blind? Look to Him and live. Remember, this light is life. It's life. Jesus is our freedom from the darkness. And I'm not only speaking to the unbelievers today. Beloved, can you hear what Jesus is saying and to whom He's saying it? Again, Jesus said these things to a crowd of men that had their Bibles open, their Hebrew Bibles open. They knew them well. And why is He saying this to them? Surely they don't need that. They just need some tweaking. No, they needed life. They were in the darkness. Attending synagogue all the time. Memorizing Scripture all the time. Not only careful that they themselves didn't violate the law, but they made it their life's work literally to make sure you and I didn't violate the law. How can those men be called, be labeled as being in darkness? Because they're rejecting Jesus. Those are the categories. They've always been the categories. Salvation is not what happens when my light and Jesus' light find each other. Salvation is what happens when the light rescues me in my spiritual darkness. And He will always be that to me. I, I, I could be a believer for the next, if God let me live for a hundred more years it would never not be the case that if He isn't doing the whole work of saving, I'm not saved. It's never going to be different than that. You, you don't graduate from the cross. You don't get to a place where you can say, back then I needed His perfect work. I needed His blood to wash me clean. I needed His righteousness to make me perfect. But now, I mean, every once in a while I'll need a, maybe a drip or drop of blood here and there maybe something he could credit to my account if I get a little short, I'm always bankrupt. Always bankrupt. I wonder how many of us this morning 
as Christians honestly believe that we're saved because we have a little bit of skin in the game. Or should have a little bit of skin in the game. Please lay all of that down. Lay all of it down. That's darkness. Let the light of the world overshadow you. The opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is faith. And faith is a gift of God's grace. If we truly care, then, about the glory of God in our lives, we will stop trying to perform and we will just believe and the Spirit will do His work. Will you embrace His offer of rest this morning? Of light this morning? Salvation on His terms which requires no contribution from you and I. Only believe. Only believe. The front is open this morning. If you want to come and pray, then I would call out to you, redeemed saints in need of help and rest and light, and lost and unbelieving in need of help and rest and light. Come to Jesus this morning. Why continue with a yoke on your back that He didn't lay on you? Why continue in the darkness? Why remain blind? Have life. All of you have life in Jesus Christ. I want to pray. We'll sing. I'll be here if anyone needs to come. You need to pray. You want to join our church. Whatever your need is, please come. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You for the time that You've given us to open Your Word together. I pray, Father, that we would hear Your Son speaking in this text. I pray, Father, that You would shine this morning into the hearts of those that are present. Some, Father, are Your children in need of Your help and grace and love and hope this morning, and some are lost. Father, that's probably true every time we gather in a large group. And so, Father, would you have your way and be merciful to us. Open blind eyes. Do your saving work, I ask and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
right. Well, I have another great announcement this morning. Anandra Dudley, uh, upon believing in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, has expressed her desire to be baptized, to be welcomed into the family. And so we'll do that on Mother's Day. All right. And uh, we'll be baptizing uh, Beth uh, McIlvain next Sunday, but Anandra and I think one other on Mother's Day. I just want to let you know that. But please come by when we're done. Uh, or as you see them going, please say hi. Please welcome her into the family, and we'll be doing that, um, I guess, about, about about two months away. All right, all right. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the saving work you continue to do among us, Father. Lord, you love Moundsville. Father, Moundsville is on your heart. You are seeking and pursuing people in the Ohio Valley, Father, in this place, and we give you praise and thanks for that. Father, nothing can stop your gospel, nothing can stop your advance. And so, Father, we will continue to see you do this until the day you return in power and glory to take us back to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would watch over us as we go. I thank you so much for Anandra's desire to make her faith public in this, that which you have done for her public. And so, please watch over them, watch over each one of us. I ask and pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.